Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our next guest on Be Brave at Work. Joshua Evans is a keynote speaker, TEDx programmer, best-selling author, adventure seeker, former whitewater rafting guide and corporate executive, and probably most importantly of all, the father of three. Starting out in the corporate world, Joshua spent over 10 years studying human behavior in the workplace. After his first book, Enthusiastic You, became a number one bestseller, he began his journey to fundamentally shift how people view purpose in their work. Since then, Joshua has been hired by hundreds of professional organizations and companies to teach leaders how to re-engage their team members and bring fulfillment into into their future working environment. His client list includes American Express, GE, Starbucks, the U.S. Department of the Interior, ExxonMobil, and many, many others. Joshua, welcome to Be Brave at Work. Well, thank you so much for having me, Ed. It's an honor to be here. And we are thrilled to have you as a guest. And I'm just wondering if you could take a few more minutes to talk a little bit more about your background and how you have come to do what you're currently doing today. Absolutely. So I spent many years in sales, mostly in technical roles for software companies, and I I loved it. I would throw my enthusiasm behind it, and I would only work for companies that I wanted to work for for many years. And there was companies of all sizes. We had companies that were 60,000 people. I worked for companies that were only nine people. And there is some very unique ideas behind what makes a great organizational culture. And, and size has little to do with it. It really has to, comes down to the employees and what they put into the work that they're doing and then establishing what I call an emotional connection to their contribution. And when you have that, you have some phenomenal teams, you have some phenomenal talent within your organization. But when you don't have that, you have people that are just struggling, that feel complacent, that become burnout. And so um, watching this happen for many years in the business world, I accidentally wrote a book and I, I did it kind of in jest and I, I was sitting and, and frustrated with somebody who was very complacent in the work that they were doing and I couldn't believe they could be so despondent. And so one night just sat by myself, I started writing this book and over about a year and a half, it turned into 60,000 words. And then by happen chance, I, I met a publisher that wanted to publish it. And when it became a bestseller, I decided I wanted to quit my job and do this full time to help organizations re-engage their team members and get them to really care about the work that they're doing. And so that that was kind of my my journey into how I start helping businesses. 
Well, it sounds like a fantastic journey. And first off, nobody accidentally writes a book. As you said, it, it took a year and a half, and that's not an accident, right? That takes planning and structure in order to get there. So congratulations on that effort. Oh, thank you. You know, I'm curious about a phrase you use, and this, I think, has something to do with bravery in the workplace, which is emotional connection. You know, when you have, I believe, emotional connection with colleagues or with your workplace, your likelihood for being brave and saying something that somebody needs to hear or doing something that might be difficult to do is more likely than if you're emotionally disconnected from the workplace. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, what is an emotional connection, what it feels like and, you know, what someone might experience as an employee with emotional connection. Well, I think we can look at somebody in their role and say, that person gets it, right? They actually care about this work. They're, they're, they're engaged in the work that they're doing and they're enjoying the fruits of that labor. You can look and see that. Now, to look and see somebody that's disengaged, it's harder because we hide it. And it doesn't happen overnight because on day one, everybody's excited about work. They show up early. They got their cup of coffee. They're going to take on the world. And then on day 500, they want to stab their coworkers. So, like, what happened between day one and day 500? It's not that their role changed. It's their perspective of their role. They've lost sight of the impact that their role has had further down the line. I'd love to use the example of Rosie the Riveter. And so we all know who she is, right? She was the avatar for women entering the industrial workforce in numbers like never before during World War II. And Rosie the Riveter, she knew that every single rivet that she put into that sheet metal was going to build ships for our troops or planes for our pilots or tanks for our front lines to save Europe and, and humanity. Like she knew that everything that she did was contributing to something bigger than ourselves. But if we were to take Rosie the Riveter and pluck her out of her factory floor and stick her into a cubicle, and then have a mid-level manager walk up to her and say, hey, I need 200 rivets by lunchtime. She goes, okay, great. I'm happy to do it. What is this going towards? Like, don't worry. That's outside of your scope, right? It's not within your role or your duties. Just work on your KPIs. Just get those 200 rivets done by lunchtime. Well, how quickly is she going to disengage? Pretty quickly. Because she no longer has sight of what her contribution is. She doesn't see the impact of the work that she's doing. And for decades, we've been forcing our employees to do this work where they don't get to see the impact that their work has further down the line, the impact that has on their coworkers, on their customers, on their communities. And if we can help them see that, then they're going to care more. They're going to they're going to be more passionate about the work. And they're obviously going to be more brave in the workplace because they actually care about what's going on there. Well, if we think about some of the listeners that we have, and I'm sure many of them may be wondering, gee, am I emotionally connected at work or am I emotionally disconnected? You know, what are some things people can do, if anything, or it might be others that manage them or support them? You know, how do I become more emotionally connected? Is it something that just happens naturally or is it something that I should be thinking about doing and looking for ways to do in order to ensure that I am more emotionally connected to my colleagues and to my workplace? Well, I don't think that it happens naturally. I think it's something that we need to put effort towards. And I think what we need first need to realize is that right now in the modern working world, and it's ever-evolving, people are facing a level of uncertainty that they've never before encountered. And that uncertainty obviously breeds this anxiety and fear and it can cause complacency or burnout and unfulfillment on our teams. And all of those things will boil down to people not being brave in the workplace. And if we can help them see something deeper, and there, there's there's a factor I think that's missing from a lot of people's workplaces that contributes to not only being brave in the workplace, but actually being more productive and being happier in the workplace. And that thing that's missing, I believe, is that deeper sense of purpose. And so it's not easy for an employee to walk into a role and go, 
this is the deeper purpose behind this work. I get it. It's hard because they're stuck in the day-to-day minutia. All the unread emails, the KPIs, the office politics, the things that they have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, it takes their focus away from what they're contributing to and to just the little things that they're contributing. And if we can help people step back from, you know, the, the minutia of their role, those day-to-day challenges, and, and look up and actually see what they're part of, see what their involvement is actually contributing to, and then how that's impacting the lives of the people that depend on their products, their services, or the work that they're doing. That's where we need to really go. Well, it sounds like emotional connection comes from a place of culture development, right? That you create a culture where we look for ways to engage people, ensure they understand how the work they're doing influences and impacts a, a much greater population. I do a lot of work with healthcare and pharmaceutical clients, and most of them talk about the patients they're helping, and they feel really engaged in the work that they're doing because they know that the outcome of the work helps people, right? And that's, a, I think, a core behavior we all love to have, or at least most of us love to have, which is helping others do better or make progress in whatever they might be dealing with. So, I mean, it sounds as though... You know, I either need to work in a place or work for somebody who is creating a culture that creates emotional connection. Is that uh, accurate? I'm, I'm not an expert. Well, and there are I'm some people that do wondering. not want to be emotionally connected to their work, which which is okay. I, I can understand that. They have a life outside of work and they just want to get things done and collect their paycheck and go. Those are not the people that are going to derive purpose from their work. And those are also not the people that are going to be loyal to their bosses or to their workplaces. I think one of the biggest challenges we face as a society is for the past seven decades, we've been conditioning people to be mercenaries. So we, we bring them into our organizations and we give them the list of tasks and functions and responsibilities behind a role. And then we give them a stack of money and they go, okay. And then we get upset if our competitor comes to that same employee with the same list of, of responsibilities and a little bit bigger stack of money. And then they leave to go there and we feel betrayed, but we shouldn't. We've been conditioning them to do the work for the money. And that's the problem is we've, we do these things that we think are beneficial, but at the end of the day, it's really just a bribe. And so we started doing pensions. Those went out of vogue. They do 401ks and matching and Roth 401ks and a health savings account. And now a lot of organizations are doing unlimited PTO, which we actually know from the numbers that people take less personal time off when it's unlimited, but those are all just bribes. And then the idea of, of employee experience and company culture really became prevalent about 10 years ago. And, it, and it's had this major push into the corporate world, but it's been hijacked. And so now people think that company culture is about a spray painted graffiti wall in your office and free tacos on Tuesday. But that's not what it is at all. We, we've been lied to about it. And I think that we need to stop bribing our employees to stay and start giving them a reason to actually care. I have three little kids. Bribes don't work. And I don't think why we why we would continue to be doing that when we know that the vast majority of people out there, because right now, 51% of the workforce is millennials. And when they're interviewed, 86% of them say that they will work for less money if they care about their work. So why are we still trying to bribe them? We need to be trying to show them why their work has a deeper purpose behind it. That's how we get people to care about their work. That's how we get them to be brave within the workplace. And that's how we get them to actually stay with an organization for longer than two and a half years. Well, look, I think this is a fascinating topic for us because I do believe that in order for me to be brave at work, and by that I mean saying something to somebody that might be difficult for them to hear, but I want to help them. And that's another premise that we operate under, that being brave at work is meant to be helpful, not judging or belittling or insulting, but because I want to help you. And because I want to help you, 
one of the things that we believe needs to exist is a relationship. And of course, a relationship dovetails beautifully with emotional connection, right? That I feel like you're a person I want to help, that I feel the as though you're a person whose job satisfaction and performance is important to me, you know, not just my own performance, but, you know, I want you to feel satisfied, et cetera. So, you know, it sounds like, Joshua, that this need to have and this the, the benefit of having emotional connection in the workplace is super important. It really is. I think for, for all reasons that we discussed earlier, for the longevity, for the productivity, and, and for people genuinely being happy in the work that they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, I am a lifelong human resources leader. So I, I can agree with you that money, for example, is a short-term satisfier. That's the phrase that we came up at one point that, you know, people love to get more money, right? They want to get a performance review and get a six or 7% raise or, you know, big, big money, but it only satisfies in the short term because there's always going to be next year. And now next year they want another six or 7% raise, right? So last year wasn't enough. Now we want to do more. And I don't know if there's anybody out there. I certainly haven't read or have seen anything based on, you know, how do we counteract these short-term bribes or interactions that we're having with employees to build this environment of engagement and emotional connection. We also know that the number of people who feel disengaged at work is very high. I can't remember the statistic, but it's somewhere like 75%. I mean, it's a big, big number. So have you seen this work? Have you seen, you know, beyond the work that you're doing to help organizations break away from these short-term bribes and interactions and move toward a culture of emotional connection, engagement, bravery, etc. So new organizations that are starting now, these, these startups are, can easily develop their company culture around these ideas. But these legacy organizations that have been around for decades, it's imprinted in the way that these organizations operate. It's within their handbooks. They, they are forced to operate in, in these ways that are counterproductive, at least in, in this new future of work. And so I think it's harder for these organizations that have been around for a long time to shift that idea because you're going to have these these employees that have been around. And the social contract between employers and employees has changed dramatically in the past 10 years, and it accelerated in the past two years. And so what does that look like now? It's less about that that mercenary behavior of here's, here's your job and its descriptions, get these things done, and you get this money. It needs to be something much deeper. That's why you see organizations like like Zappos, where people love working for their for them just because they give something back, right? One pair of shoes gets donated, right? Tom's does that. Right, Zappos goes out of their way for customer uh, customer service, and they share all of those experiences with their employees, so that their employees are now attached emotionally to the connection they're making with every single customer. And if we're not thinking in those sorts of terms, we're going to have continued high turnover. We've seen it now. The Great Resignation, I'll be really honest with you, has nothing to do with a war for talent. The Great Resignation is a crisis of purpose within our organizations. Well, organizations like Zappos became knowledgeable, more visible for a number of years because of something else that they did, which is recognizing that not everybody is going to love the culture that we have, right? We define the culture that we have. We think it's a great culture, but it's not going to fit everyone. And if you decide you want to leave, we'll pay you, right? We'll give you like $2,000 to leave. So, uh, I think they you know, moved that also up. recognizing. I, I think it's up to like $5,000 I hope so. now. With the, for, yeah. Yeah. For inflation, I, I hope so. So, you know, without getting too deep into the great resignation, because that sounds like a, a great topic as well. You know, I'd love to hear from you, Joshua, about 
uh, a story or something maybe you could share with our listeners about a time where you did not show bravery, either didn't say something you should have said or done something that you should have done. And today, how you think back and reflect on that interaction? You know, there's there's one situation I think back to it a lot because it was a very formative time in my career. It was about five years into my corporate career, and I was hired by a very small company. They had about 40 employees, and only nine of them were based in the United States. And so when they hired me, they introduced me to new managers. They interviewed me. They, we want you. We love you. We're so excited. We need you to go spend two weeks in Europe or in London training. And so, great. So I get on the airplane, and on the airplane with me is another employee that they had hired at the same time. And I found out on that trip that he was going to be my new manager. Having never met him before, I'm trying to impress him on this trip. This was a coincidence? They flew us out together. They never introduced us. Oh. So it it was not a coincidence that we were working together. It was a coincidence that I had never met him, I guess. Or maybe they kept it clandestine on purpose. I didn't really understand. (laughs) But we were there for two weeks and we trained together. And I really tried to impress him. But he always withheld himself, right? Like he, he would never really emotionally connect with me. I, w- I was really trying to get to know my new manager. So when we got back to the United States and we started working, he pulls me aside at one of the meetings and he goes, Josh, you, you need to stop trying so hard. You need to, you don't, don't be overdoing it. Okay. We have a lot of time at this organization. We have months to plan this out. You don't need to be running and gunning. So, okay, I'll try to do that. And we'll call him Cliff for lack of a better name. That's not his real name. And so for the next few months, I I was really working hard and trying to to manage this relationship that I didn't understand because it was a bit tenuous and manage the relationship with with our upper management that was still in the UK. And so I finally uncovered this huge opportunity for our company, right? A very small company, this multi-million dollar opportunity was going to make our year. It would have made two of our years, really. And so when I brought this opportunity forward to my new manager, Cliff, I was like, hey, look at this opportunity. I uncovered these are the people and the players that I, I have you know, included from our organization that we're selling to. This is the timeline. And he goes, this is great work, Josh. Good job. And so at our next executive meeting, I'm sitting at the back of the room. And then I watch my manager, Cliff, take credit for all of these meetings. He goes, so I've set up all these meetings with this client. This is the timeline as I see it moving forward. These are the people that we're going to engage at that company to get it done. This is what I see it looking like. And everybody praises him. Great job on this opportunity. Good work. And being naive and him being my boss, I had this thought that, okay, he he's in charge. He gets to take credit for the work that I bring to him. That's fine. But it, it didn't sit right with me. So for the next few months, he continued to take credit for other pieces of my work, for presentations I would put together and slide decks and marketing material. And, and it, it became a bit disheartening. And so I had all the, all the excitement in the world, all the enthusiasm and passion for this job until this manager just started taking the stuff that I was doing and taking credit for it. And I didn't say anything because I was still very young in my career. I was naive to how businesses should work. And, and I still regret that to this day. They ended up letting him go after about eight months because he didn't do anything. And I was pulled aside by a senior manager of this company and asked, okay, what were you actually working on? What was he working on? And I went through my list of stuff. And they go, that's funny. That's the list he gave us. And I was like, well, you know, I can show you all the emails back and forth with the clients. And they go, no, that's all we needed to know. And so they figured it out. But I think I could have saved the company a lot of time and money had I brought something like that up earlier. And because I didn't, not only was I disengaging in that role, but the company was losing out on huge opportunities because they had somebody inside that was a bit toxic to the environment there. And so I, I still look back on that with regret that I should have spoken up earlier, even though he was a senior manager. 
And I think a lot of people face those situations where they don't know the appropriate response if they disagree with something in the workforce. It's not trained very often. It's not. So first off, Josh, thank you so much for sharing that story. I think that is something that happens maybe more often than we think it happens. I've never personally have experienced that where somebody blatantly took an idea that I shared with him or her and claimed it to be their own. And you started to say, and I'm just wondering if you could, for our listeners, upon reflection, what do you wish you had done differently? So what do you think would have been a more appropriate outcome when you noticed that this person was blatantly using the information you shared with them under his own name? I I can think back to two potential options that I should have done. One, maybe I should have just pulled him aside and told him how it made me feel. Hey, I know I'm bringing this stuff to you. I know you're my boss, but I feel like you're taking credit for this without giving me any, any of the, any of the credit as well. And, and if I, maybe if I had just gone to him like that up front, he, he may have been receptive to it. He may have understood where I was coming from. And the other thing that I probably should have done earlier is approached at one of our managing directors from the UK and said, look, I don't work well with this individual. I would like to be out from underneath his umbrella and, and have my own business unit that I would work through. How can we make that work? I think that if I had done that sooner, once again, I think they would have been able to see that he was a bit more of a charlatan than they knew. But you, you can what if it into the future forever, because I, I don't know what would have happened. They had to make their own decision on it. And, and he moved on. And I ended up making a very nice career there for a couple of years before I was hired away by another company in a similar space. Well, I love that recommendation, Josh, and I hope our listeners caught the best first action in most cases, not all cases, but in most cases, you know, is go to the source and just go to the person who is creating the issue and very respectfully and professionally, right? You don't hit them across the head with a two by four, but just to say, hey, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's my impression and just share it with them. And, you know, their answer is probably going to be one of two things. The first would be, oh, my gosh. I didn't realize that was what was happening. Of course, I deserve to give you full credit. I'll send it out an email today and going right and say all the right things. Or it might be like, hey, you're the new kid on the block. I take the credit. Get over it. Right. Who knows? But until you had that conversation, you didn't have really great insight into what those next steps would be. So thanks again, Josh, for sharing that story, because I think that's something a lot of our listeners might experience. And it has been great chatting with you today to hear about your thoughts on bravery at work and this great concept of really emotional connection. And if folks want to find out more about you or even explore your speaking engagement opportunities, how can they contact you? Well, they can reach reach out to me on my website at joshuamevans.com or they can look me up on LinkedIn. It's in slash the Joshua M. Evans. Fantastic. Well, Joshua, again, thank you so much for being a guest today on Be Brave at Work. It was my pleasure. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at capitrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.